grab a Bible and turn to Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. Uh, If you're using a Pew Bible, you can locate this on page 673. Uh, Pastor Bruce is going to be speaking on why Jesus came. We know he did, but why did he? So follow along with Galatians 4, verses 4 through 7. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Let's pray. Lord God, uh, we come as a congregation today to praise you, but also to thank you and give you glory and adoration for you sent your son for us to even be able to be redeemed. Thank you for your many blessings upon us and none higher than your son who has, through his death, has redeemed us to you, God. In your name, amen. Well, can you believe it? Christmas, only two days from now. It's this Tuesday. Now, I'm no mind reader, but my guess is probably two things are true about most of you here this morning. One is you're probably uh, just a little distracted. You're thinking of the 95 things you have to get done before Christmas, and this service is just one of those things on your list. And maybe some of you are thinking about the last-minute items you need to buy at the grocery store. Others are thinking about finishing your shopping and wrapping. Others are just thinking about, hey, what football games am I going to watch on Christmas Day? And then the second thing that's true for probably most of you is you're a little tired. Not just distracted, but tired. Because there's only one word to describe what we try to do in the first three weeks of December, and that's madness. Think about it. We cram 80% of all the parties we're going to have in a whole year, in a three-week period. We redecorate our houses inside and out, and then back again. We bake enough cookies to feed 13 families. We consume three times the number of calories than normal. We make a list of everybody we've ever met in life and then send them a Christmas card. So here's what I want us to do this morning. I want us to begin by simply asking you to take a deep breath. And you might even pray, God, slow me down. God, open my heart to the reason you came. At Christmas. The reason why is in the next few minutes may be the only time that you slow down enough, even long enough, to think about the reason Jesus came. And so I want to invite you to seize the moment here this morning, a moment that God has divinely given each of you here today, a moment to focus on why Jesus came. It's easy to lose sight of the true meaning of Christmas in the clutter of the trees and the lights, the parties and the presents and the football and the food we're all going to eat. And so today I want you to see another reason why 
Jesus came. I invite you to pull out that insert that's in your bulletin. Uh, You can follow along with that insert of notes, or you can just follow along on the screen behind me. But the reason Jesus came here that we're going to see, the reason Jesus was born was to redeem those under the law. To redeem those under the law. The Apostle Paul writes in this passage of Scripture that Jeremy read to us here in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 5. Look at it again with me. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. Why? To redeem those who were under the law. Now, in these two verses, it tells us that everything about Jesus' coming was perfect. The timing of Jesus' coming, the manner in which Jesus came, and the reason why Jesus came was all perfect. And so everything about the coming of Jesus Christ was perfect. And I want us to unpack that idea a little bit here with the understanding that we'll end with on the reason why Jesus came. Number one, Jesus came at the perfect time. He came at the perfect time. I'm sure you've heard the phrase, timing is everything. Timing is important when cooking. No one wants to eat an undercooked or an overcooked turkey. Timing is critical when taking medications. If it says to take one pill every four hours and we skip a dose, then the prescription isn't very effective. Or if you take one pill every two hours, it could damage your liver or something even worse. In fact, timing is rather key when dealing with people. Most of us know not to ask someone a favor when they are in a bad mood. And Paul says here in verse 4, but when the fullness of time had come, that's when God sent forth His Son. That phrase there that Paul uses, when the fullness of time had come, it's actually a very eloquent phrase, and it speaks of something that is complete or fully developed, like a ripe apple that's ready to be picked from the tree, or like a pregnant woman who is ready to deliver her baby. And so this phrase describes a moment in history when the world was perfectly ready for the birth of the Savior. At that moment, not earlier, not later, God sent His Son into the world. Now, admittedly, we do not know, nor can we know for certain, that Jesus was actually born on December the 25th. But even though we may not know the exact date of Jesus' birth, The fact of it is so significant that it split history into B.C. and A.D. In fact, the life of Christ is the very hinge of history. And the Bible affirms that He invaded history at the perfect time. And so God's timing is perfect. God is never too early. And He's never too late. He's always right on time. God orchestrated all of history to bring everyone to this one point in time. God sent His Son when the fullness of time had come. So if we stand back and we look at history when Jesus was born, what do we discover about the world that made it a perfect time? Well, what we find is that everything in the world was perfectly prepared politically culturally and spiritually for Christ's birth. Notice this, the world when Christ was born, politically, it was a time of Roman peace. 
at the time of Christ's birth, the civilized world was united politically by the Roman Empire as it had not been for many centuries before. Jesus was born during a period of time called the Pax Romana or the Peace of Rome, which had very little fighting. It was a time in which very little wars were taking place. You've heard the expression, uh, perhaps, that all roads lead to Rome. That was literally true in the days of Caesar Augustus when the Romans built a road system that stretched from Rome in all directions. And so it's not by accident that Caesar Augustus, mentioned in Luke chapter 2 of the Christmas story, issued a decree that everybody in the Roman world had to go back to their hometown and be counted for a census for taxation purposes. And since Joseph and Mary were of the line of David, they had to travel from Galilee to Bethlehem where she gave birth to Jesus. Little did Caesar Augustus realize that when he made that decree, he was being used by God to fulfill the prophecy made by Micah 750 years earlier that predicted Jesus would be born in the town of Bethlehem. And so politically... Jesus was born at the perfect time. Another way the world was prepared for the birth of Christ was culturally. Culturally, it was a time of common language. The Romans spoke Latin. And they were in control of the world, but the language that actually united the Roman Empire was Greek. Preparation for this unity began about 350 years earlier when Alexander the Great conquered the world. And so although Rome had conquered the world politically, the Greeks had conquered the world in terms of language and in terms of culture. But little did Alexander the Great know that he also was being used by God to prepare the world for his son's coming, as well as for the preaching of the gospel of Christ to all peoples everywhere. In fact, you fast forward to the book of Acts. And the missionary advanced by Paul and the other disciples following the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ actually made it easier because almost everyone spoke Greek at that time. And so culturally, it was a time of common language. Politically, it was a time of Roman peace. But spiritually, it was a time of religious bankruptcy. Religions of the ancient world focused on the gods and goddesses of the Greek and Roman pantheon. By the time Jesus was born, the religions had proved powerless to change people's lives and meaningless to answer people's questions like, man, where did I come from? Why am I here? Where am I going? And as a result of no answers to this from the religions of the world, people had become extremely immoral, totally corrupt. It was a world Paul actually described graphically in Romans chapter 1. A world that ignored the true God and turned to idolatry and immorality. And it's into this darkness that Jesus, the light of the world, was born. Not only were the Gentiles a morally bankrupt people, but the Jewish people, God's chosen people that stretches back to the Old Testament, were spiritually restless, waiting for the Messiah to come. While God had given them the law of Moses, 
years earlier. We know that law. We're familiar with it. That's the Ten Commandments. But this law was never intended to perfect them, but rather to prepare them for the Messiah's coming. And so both Jews and Gentiles were searching, searching for spiritual meaning when Jesus was born. And so the stage was set for the coming of Christ. Jesus was born at the perfect time. Not too soon, not too late, but at the perfect time, Jesus came. But that brings us to number two. Jesus also came in the perfect manner. He came in the perfect manner. Paul writes, but when the fullness of time had come, what did God do? Well, the rest of verse 4 says, God sent forth His Son. I'm sure some of you heard about the story of the little girl who heard sounds in the dark. And after hearing these sounds in the dark, she became rather afraid and couldn't sleep. And so she rushed into her parents' bedroom, begging them to sleep with them in their bed. But they refused. Instead, they prayed with her and sent her back to her room and told her to remember that God would be with her. She went back to her room and tried to sleep, but it just didn't work. And so she went back to her parents' room, only to be sent away again with the reminder that God was with her. So she went back to her room and tried to sleep, and again it didn't work. And again she made her way back to her parents' room. And this time they were a little less patient. Didn't we pray with you? Didn't we tell you that God is with you? What's the problem? And her reply is classic. God doesn't have any skin on. You'll get that here in a moment. Before the incarnation, every method God used to declare his love for us was misunderstood. God didn't have any skin on. But in the incarnation, God spoke a language that we could understand. And he did so by becoming one of us. In fact, that's what the word incarnation means. God with skin on. God in human flesh. And in the incarnation, God perfectly declared his love for us. How? By sending his son. By sending his son. And when he did so, he sent him as fully divine, fully human, and fully righteous. God did not create His Son. We are told that God sent His Son. And the fact that Jesus was sent, it shows us something here. It shows us that He existed before He was born in Bethlehem. And His sending from heaven to earth thus declares His divine nature. His sonship is eternal. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He's fully equal to God in glory and might. He is the only begotten Son of the Father. He is the second person of the Trinity who lived with His Father from glory in eternity past. And so when the time had fully come, God acted. God intervened. God sent forth His Son from heaven into the world. Now, the manner in which God did this was perfect. Paul tells us two things about the manner in which he came. Paul says that Jesus was born of a woman. Whereas this word sent implies the eternal deity of Jesus Christ, the word born declares his true humanity. 
In other words, Jesus had a normal birth. It was complete with a dingy manger. It soiled, swaddling cloth, just like any other poor peasant in Palestine would have had. Martin Luther said it this way, speaking of this very truth. Christianity does not begin at the top as all other religions do. It begins at the bottom. And he continues with these words. He says, you must run directly to the manger in the mother's womb. Embrace this infant and virgin's child in your arms and look at him, born, being nursed, growing up, going about in a human society, teaching, dying, rising again, ascending above all the heavens and having authority over all things. And so not only was Jesus born of a woman, and of course this woman is in reference to Mary, the virgin mother of Jesus Christ, but he was also born under the law, Moses says. I mean, Paul says. Jesus was born not simply a man, but more specifically, he was a Jewish man who grew up in a Jewish home attending the Jewish synagogue. In other words, by this birth of Jesus Christ, Jesus was required to keep the law of God, which he did so. In fact, he did so perfectly. He never broke even one of the Ten Commandments. He did everything the law required. Jesus even died under the law. For God's Son, coming under the law included accepting the death penalty his people deserve for breaking it. This is what Paul explained earlier in Galatians chapter 3 when he says in verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. How? By becoming a curse for us. He fulfilled the law. He died under the law, paying the penalty for our sins. And so Jesus came at the perfect time. He came in the perfect manner. And now we see that Jesus also came for the perfect reason. Paul tells us that reason here in verse 5. He says, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Now, that is a spectacular reason why Jesus came. And I want you to focus on this for, with me for just a few minutes here. This particular reason why Jesus came. To redeem you that we might receive the adoption as sons. Notice this twofold reason. Jesus came that we might experience the redemption from sin. This redemption from sin is possible only because of the atonement that Jesus provided on the cross with his death. The word redemption involves two ideas. It means to purchase and then to liberate. Two ideas of redemption, to purchase and to liberate. In other words, it's the idea to set free, to set someone free by, by paying a price. And the concept actually comes from the slave market of the ancient world. People became slaves for a variety of reasons in that day in which Paul writes this. But there were basically only two ways a slave could find freedom in their life. Either his master would set him free 
or somebody would redeem him by paying the price that was set to free him. Now, perhaps you're thinking, so what does all this have to do with me? After all, I'm not a slave, and I'm certainly nobody's master, and nobody is my master. But Jesus has a different opinion of us here this morning. He tells us in his own words in John chapter 8, verse 34, listen to him. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits a sin is a slave to sin. So I ask you, have you ever committed a sin? Well, the answer to that is rather obvious. And so Jesus says that I and you, all of us here this morning, Jesus says we are slaves to sin. Slave, first of all, to sin's power. You do wrong even when you mean to do right. That's the power of sin working in your life. And we are also slave to sin's penalty. What did Paul write in Romans 3.23? For the wages of sin is death. Eternal separation from God. And so we're a slave to sin. We're a slave to the power of sin. And we're a slave to the penalty of sin. But here's the real downer. You cannot free yourself from sin. No matter how hard you try, you cannot escape the power and penalty of sin on your own. But the good news, oh, and it's good news, is that God sent His Son to do something for us, to do for us what we cannot do on ourselves. He sent His Son to redeem us from the bondage of that sin. In other words, Jesus came and He paid the price for our freedom with His death on the cross. Oh, how we need a Savior like Jesus to redeem us, to set us free from the penalty of sin and the power of sin. And when we accept that, when we believe in that, one day we look forward to being set free from the very presence of sin in heaven. And so Jesus was born with an assignment. He was born with a mission from the Father to die on the cross where His blood would be the ransom that sets us free from the very bondage of our sin. Someone once said, and perhaps you've heard it before, that if our greatest need had been information, well, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us a banker. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was salvation. Therefore, God sent us a redeemer, a savior. Oh, thank you, Lord. Jesus came so that we might be redeemed from our sin through his death and resurrection. But there's a purpose for that as well. Jesus came that we might receive adoption as sons. When you think about this concept of redemption, we need to think about it in, th- in three ways. In fact, it's three-dimensional. First of all, we are redeemed from something. We just talked about that. We are redeemed from something. We're redeemed from the bondage of sin. 
but we are also redeemed by something. And in this case, we are redeemed by the very blood of Jesus Christ. That's why he had to come. That's why he had to die on the cross. A sacrifice had to be made. Blood had to be shed. And so we are redeemed from something, the bondage of sin. We are redeemed by something, the blood of Jesus Christ. But do not miss this third dimension of redemption. Jesus also came so that we are redeemed unto something. There's a purpose, in other words, behind our redemption, and that is the adoption as sons. So Jesus came not just to set us free from sin. As great as that is, Jesus came to do more for us. Jesus came to actually change our relationship with God through our adoption as sons. You say, why is this such a big deal? Well, Jesus explains it, and the rest of the New Testament explains that by nature and by our physical birth, we, we are not children of God. When you are born, you are born into the devil's family. You are not automatically born into God's family. We are sinful people. In our sin, it shuts us out from God. It separates us from a holy God. But the good news is God sent His Son to the marketplace of sin where our lives are dwelling in order to set us free from its bondage. But the grace of God does not stop there. Listen, for in Christ, not only does God redeem us, but He also adopts us. The moment you are saved, here's the beauty of it. God takes you from slavery to sonship. He adopts you as a son into his eternal family. Once Jesus gained our freedom from sin, he gathers us into his family, turning slaves into sons. I love the way C.S. Lewis put it in his book, Mere Christianity. He says it this way. The son of God became a man to enable men to become the sons of God. Now, don't let our culture here and don't let perhaps even the desire for inclusive gender language to cause you to miss out on the blessing here that Paul's talking about. You say, what blessing is that? You see it here in verses 6 and 7. Look at it. Paul writes, And because you are sons, that is in reference to both male and female. Anyone who receives, who has been redeemed of Jesus Christ. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a what? A slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Now, why is this so important? Because in the ancient world in which Paul writes this, a father's inheritance was only for who? The sons. And so in redemption, God doesn't just make you his child. He goes beyond that. 
He actually puts you in the place of a son, in the status of a son. He makes you, in other words, an heir. He gives you access to the riches and the rule and the righteousness of His Son, Jesus Christ. That is the best Christmas present you could ever receive. This is why Jesus came. Can you imagine if Jesus had never come? We'd still be slaves to our sin with no hope of escaping sin's power, sin's penalty, and one day sin's presence. But the good news of Christmas is Jesus did come, and he came at the perfect time, in the perfect manner, and for the perfect reason, to redeem you from your sin and to make you a son in God's family. So here's the question, and it's a most important question. Have you experienced the reason for Jesus coming? Are you still a slave to sin or have you been redeemed from your sin and adopted as a son into God's eternal family through faith in Jesus Christ? Then I encourage you to ponder this question. Think on it. Be honest in your heart with God on this. In closing, let me point out one other key word here in verse 5. It's the word receive. Paul writes in verse 5 that we might receive the adoption as sons. Now that word's rather important in the context of what Paul's saying here. For it means we are not forgiven of our sins because we deserve it. We are not saved from our sins because we work for it. And we are not redeemed because we earn it. Apart from any good works we can do, God adopts us into his family through our faith in Jesus Christ and his atoning sacrifice on the cross. The good news of Jesus coming is that in order to be saved, in order to be redeemed, all we have to do is receive by faith what God has done for us through his son. And to that we say, Amen. We sing hallelujah. This is why Jesus came to redeem us from our sins. That we might be adopted into his eternal family as sons with all the privileges and status of a son with Christ Jesus. It is phenomenal. Listen, only a loving God, only a gracious, merciful God would step out of eternity into time to be born of a woman, to be born under the law and do for us what we could never, never, never do on ourselves. And that's exactly what God did for us when he came. The question is, Have you experienced this reason for Jesus coming? Or are you simply celebrating a holiday in Jesus' name? Come Tuesday, when you wake up, and perhaps you give a present, perhaps you receive a present and you open it, why are you even doing that? As you gather with family or friends and you eat, 
And when you're done eating, you sit down in the living room to watch a football game or a Christmas movie. Is it simply because of tradition? Is it simply just to hang out with family and friends? Is it simply because that's what we do in our culture? Or have you experienced in a personal way, in a spiritual way, the reason why Jesus came? It is a matter of life and death for eternity. Jesus came to redeem you from your sins so that you might receive the adoption as sons. Have you experienced that? Listen, that is the best and the greatest, the most significant Christmas present you could ever receive. Why not receive it now, this morning, if you have never done so? It's a matter of acknowledging, you know what, that is what I need. I am a sinner and I am a slave to my own sin. I'm in bondage. And I am hopeless and helpless without Jesus intervening. I need what he did for me through his life and his death and his resurrection. I need him to be my savior. I need him to be my redeemer. And so, Lord, I cry out to you. Save me. Forgive me. And redeem me from my sins that I might be placed as a son in your eternal family. And you express that through prayer. You confess that in your heart of hearts to God. We're going to bow our heads here just a moment. A time to respond and that's when you can do that. Right there in the quietness of your heart. Right where you're sitting. You can receive the greatest Christmas present ever that God has given to us. To be redeemed from your sins so that you might receive the adoption as sons. Let's pray. There's a simple prayer even in your notes there that you could follow along. Man, if God is pulling on your heart, if he's tugging you, listen, that is the Holy Spirit convicting you and challenging you to respond. Let this be a Christmas to remember if you have yet to respond in faith to Jesus Christ. Cry out to Jesus. Express this prayer. Put it in your own words and receive the greatest gift you could ever receive. Lord, we thank you. Oh, how we thank you for your coming. And we thank you for why you came. Lord, open up our hearts. Open up our minds to see our need for the Savior, for the Redeemer, Jesus Christ. That we might, by faith, receive the redemption of our sins that we might receive adoption as your son lord i pray that you would work you would do a work that only you can do for those that need to receive your son jesus christ as the music plays won't you respond even now cry out to the lord in prayer